Welcome into the Brotherly Love Podcast, Anchor.fm, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Anywhere you can get your podcast, you can get ours. Please subscribe, rate, comment. You know the drill. The more people that do so, the better it is for us. I am Joe O'Donnell. John Mita is my co-host as always. Johnny Mita. What's going on, brother? Joe O'D, what's up, brother? What is hot? So good to be back, man. This is like the one thing that I look forward to in this times of quarantine, man. It's like, just let's give me a little brotherly love podcast just to get my, bring my morale up. So, you know, All right. hopefully, hopefully we can bring the morale up of uh, some of the people that follow us and listen and uh, maybe at least they'll get a good laugh out of it at, yeah. at the very least. So well, we'll I, will boost, I will boost your morale for the next 30 minutes or so, my friend. Always good to chat with you. We have a lot right. to dive into on the Brotherly Love Podcast. We're on Twitter, yes. at Belove Podcast. Uh, again, through Anchor.fm, you're able to comment, send questions into the show, et cetera. So please check all that out, Anchor.fm. And don't forget to subscribe on Google Podcasts, all those good sorts of spots where you can listen to your various podcasts. All right, Johnny Meetup, we are going to uh, get your recap on The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, mm-hmm. the Bulls documentary, which is now wrapped up. We're going to talk about the Major League Baseball return to play. Uh, we're going to jump into the birds for a little bit. I've got uh, some other cool things to throw your way as well, including a possible Sunday in November, in which case um, I'm guessing you're going to be uh, in heaven. Uh, so we'll get there in a minute as well. But the Rooney rule in the NFL uh, has gone undergone a bit of a, a makeover. That, of course, is um, the rule the National Football League has in place to try and encourage owners to hire more minority candidates for head coaching positions, GM positions, et cetera. Um, it's always been, uh, at least in the last decade, decade and a half or so, something where the NFL knew they had to at least interview a certain number of minority candidates to sort of um, go about their business in in uh, accordance with league policy. But the NFL announced this week now that the league is going to require clubs to interview at least two external minority candidates for head coaching openings and at least one minority candidate for any coordinator job. It goes on to uh, say, does this new mandate from the league that they must also include minorities and or female applicants for senior level positions, including club president jobs. Uh, Teams must interview one external minority candidate for senior football operations and GM openings. So the league continues to evolve a bit in that way. Uh, For example, the Eagles couldn't just interview Deuce Staley and then move on. He's an internal candidate, uh, African-American former player and now longtime coordinator and position coach for the Eagles, but that wouldn't qualify anymore. I guess my question, John Mita is, is, you know, does this help at all? Does it just bring the spotlight a bit brighter onto the fact that the NFL is predominantly a white GM and coaching profession? Do you see it helping at all? To me, you know, a lot of times it just seems like window dressing, like it's just a way for them to sort of placate things. I don't know that it ever changes, but I also don't know if, and this may be very naive of me, if the, and I'll, and I'll say this because it's, it's pretty much true, but the rich white owners, like to me, I, I would feel like they should know that the best candidate out there should be the, the coach they hire, that it shouldn't matter race or you know, religious beliefs or any of that stuff, because look at 
the players you're putting on the field. They're predominantly black players. So why could you not have a black head coach or a black GM? I don't understand why the league feels it needs to do this. But again, maybe the old white, you know, predominantly white owners are are a little bit uh, behind the times and just, you know, considering everybody when a position is available. Do you think the Rooney rule, help, Rooney rule helps? Uh, do you think that the NFL will see some change now that they've even further sort of uh, evolved this, this, this Rooney rule and made it now more on the teams to go out and interview more minority candidates? Well, I mean, I think when, when the Rooney rule came about, I think it was a good idea. They definitely need a lot more diversity in the NFL. I think the biggest issue with me is like, I like the fact that now that have to go externally and go for at least have to, you know, interview at least two African-American or some other minority Latino, what, what have you, um, outside the box. I do like that fact of it. I think the big issue with people is giving, you know, greater draft compensation. If, if you, I mean, just to incentivize it that, that way, it just seems a little out of touch. Um, it's hard to describe. Like, I think that African-Americans and, and, and any minority should have more opportunities um, to crack some of the higher profile positions in the NFL, like head coach, general manager. I mean, it, it's been a big deal. And there's not one African-American owner as well in the group. So maybe that's something that we see change, you know, in the next decade, possibly. But I just don't know if incentivizing by draft compensate, that just looks terrible. To me, as an outsider, not, you know, working in the league or what have you, it just is a bad look. Um, again, however, is the greater thing is how are you going to find a better solution? So what is going to be the attraction to do that? I think when it comes down to it, you got to feel like whoever the best candidate is for that particular position, that's who you ultimately have to go with. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, yellow, green, whatever. It just that that's the way. I will say that you know some of the African American head coaches that have been hired um, to these positions sometimes haven't got a, a, a share shake. Um, I mean Hugh Jackson. It just seems like he he's he's a guy that, that's more fixed to be. He's a good coordinator, but not really a good head coach. And there's plenty of guys that are like that. The guy, Steve Wilkes, like he got hired or he was the Arizona Cardinals head coach. He might have lasted a year or two and then got zipped. And it's it's hard to, you know, Mike Tomlin is, is the, the one guy that stands out that's just had amazing tenure uh, with his franchise. Um, but it, it's, I just, I, I don't know how you fix the problem, but I don't think incentivizing it through the use of, okay, we're going to, and, and we're going to, we're going to um, basically improve your draft position because you've made these types of hires. I just don't see the purpose of that either, but you need to bring something to the table that would maybe open that door. But my whole thing is, you know, basically whoever they think the best candidate is, yeah. maybe they haven't found that. So, I mean, you're, you're, hard... you're referring to the proposal that, the teams would get an enhanced draft stock, according to NFL.com, for hiring right. minority candidates yes. as head coaches or the yes. primary football executives. And then, like to your point, now you're now now you're, and again, like this sounds somewhat stereotypical, but like 
now rich white owner sitting in his mansion is like, hmm, we could get a third-round pick instead right. of a fourth-round pick, or we move up six spots in the second round if I hire the black guy over the white guy. Like, it just seems like it's it, – it, it I don't know. It, it, yeah, it has the wrong it's feel a, to it. Yeah. It just seems – but then you have other people on the flip side of the equation that think that, like, well, how else are you going to break the norm? Or how else are you going to, you know, buck the system a little bit so that there are more opportunities created for minorities? And that, that's a big factor as well. So, Well, I would again, say this then, I, and again, this is off the top of my head, but if a guy like Mike Tomlin, with all the success he's had, if he doesn't say, say there is this predominant thinking out there, again, this is a, a, this is a leap possibly, but rich white owner – I I can't I can't hire somebody that's not like me, so to speak. Like, if you're not seeing the success that a guy like that's having, or there's plenty of former players out there that are coordinators or have gone on to GM positions that are not white. Like, if that doesn't, if if on merit alone, from what these guys know about the sport, what they've accomplished in the sport from a player perspective, et cetera, if that's not enough for you to give them a fair shake in the hiring process then that's something that, you know, that generation is just never going to get over. Maybe 20 years from now with a new group of owners that weren't born in the 50s or in the 40s or in the 60s, whatever, maybe that new generation now less uh, relying on their tendencies to be racist, quite frankly, maybe that makes them maybe the next generation of NFL coaches, assistant coaches and GMs will have more of a diverse feel to it just because the, you know, the old patriarch of NFL owners have passed and moved on. You know, maybe that's the only thing that can change this. I, I don't know how yeah. else as a league can get better yeah. without just changing of the guard, you know, and, and a lot of sports are like this. I mean, you see sure. retread head coaches and retread GMs and, Where's the fresh crop? It's always that old boys club. And unfortunately for minorities, they're not often included in that because, again, it's the old boys club. It's the old recycled same names coming about for job after job in in a variety of sports, not just the NFL. So maybe over time with a passing of the torch and a changing of the guard to steal a couple cliches, maybe that will help things. But I don't like incentivizing with draft capital. I certainly feel like it's a slap in the face to so many uh, really qualified black, Latino, et cetera, individuals that are qualified and have played the sport and know the sport inside and out for them not to get a fair shake in a, in a hiring process because of skin color is ridiculous and absurd. I mean, Lewis Riddick has done a wonderful job working his way up the ranks and uh, from the Eagles front office, player development, scouting, ESPN. He's a guy that when I watch – he has that sort of it factor for me where I believe what he's saying. And a guy like that to me should be on the of some type of personnel job with a team. But yet there he is ESPN year after year. I mean, what I don't understand what the problem is, what the issue is, why in 2020 we even need to have this freaking conversation. But I guess in the NFL, it is a reality. Uh, but you look at the National Hockey League and, you know, that's a predominantly white sport on the ice. And the same thing has gone in the coaching ranks and the GM ranks for years. And they don't have anything in place. Maybe they should, quite frankly, but they don't. Um, and it's not nearly under the microscope, of course, the NFL is. 
Yeah, well said, buddy. Any other thoughts on the Rooney rule, or should we jump to uh, Major League Baseball <laughs> looking to play this summer? Yeah, let's go to America's pastime. Why not? Well, John Crux says he couldn't play if you're not allowed to spit because the 60-some pages uh, of the report oh, Major League Baseball put out have been uh, leaked or released to media, and a lot of it has to do with return to play and what this will look like and social distancing and travel for these teams and the schedules and all these things. And certain players have spoken out, including Bryce Harper, the Phillies' own right fielder on Twitter with sort of his proposal on how things could work from a schedule format to divisions to how you will eventually get to a playoff and a World Series champion. Uh, what do you think about Major League Baseball's return to play from what you've read, seen, and heard? I mean, it's – I think – I mean, basically, I think the biggest thing is it's going to be – to bring any sport back, it's going to be – you know, is the testing available and you better have as many tests as you need. Yep. Um, and that's, that's going to be the biggest thing. And with the testing, I mean, again, like then there's antibody testing out there. And I, I mean, I took one of those tests, but you don't, you don't know how accurate it is. I mean, I heard a number, it might be like 30% accurate. So that's the biggest thing is going to be, do they have enough tests and how are you going to make it safe? And with all these rule changes and distancing and, you know, there are some contacts that, that happens. I mean, if you look at the Korean baseball league, I mean, they've, they've found a way to, to, to get back. There's, you know, guys wearing masks in the dugout. There's no fans in the stand. There's a lot of stuff going on, but you know, everybody just wants to see, um, to see a season. But, and again, and, you know, while facing a huge pandemic that we are, you know, not only in this country, but across the entire universe right now, um, you just want to keep in mind everyone's safety. How are they going to be able to do this? How are they going to be able to quarantine the players, like going from park to park? What hotels are they going to stay in? Like, and then the bigger issue becomes, okay, so one, and this is, every league is going to have to face this fact, is the fact that, if one player tests positive, then the question is, okay, how do you deal with that? You know, before it was like, okay, one player tests positive. All right, shut down the entire league. It's like we didn't know any of the sciences. We didn't know how it spread. We didn't know. There was so much uncertainty, and, and, and everything was completely unknown. Now we have a better grasp of things, but still, that's going to be the biggest thing. You know, if one person tests positive, then who, who do you come in contact with? Are they going to be down two weeks? You know, if you're talking about your best player, Bryce Harper, he tests positive, you know. Right. Now you're without your best player for two weeks. So those are some of the issues to think about. Um, when it comes to, to the players and everything else, it's the big thing is, too, is, you know, the owners kind of came out. They're like, okay, if we're only going to play 80 games or half the season, sorry, players, we're going to have to cut your salary. Now. So I think some of the players are on board with that, but then the owners – once they figured out that in all likelihood there's going to be zero fans and all that revenue was going to be lost, the, then the owners freaked out again and are like, well, we got to cut their salaries down again. Um, from what I understand, the league, the ownership has, you know, has profited the last 17 years. Uh, the revenues have been up. So, you know, give, you know, the people want to see this type of sport. It'll give them something to think about other than all the stresses and pressures and everything that's going on in our day-to-day life. This, you know, sports is the greatest escape, right? 
It's a great escape. And it's also great reality television, which we just eat up. You don't know the outcome. So you're just so in tune and want to get back into that. And I think we just need to do it in a safe manner. And I understand the players griping about not getting paid. Now, somebody's got to take this on the chin here. I don't know. I mean, there's a, a distinct possibility that the owners say, you know what, players, you're not giving enough. Screw you. We'll wait until next year. Yeah. And go from there. Baseball, and you don't... Baseball's in a unique spot because they have they weren't halted, right? Spring training was halted, but they're they weren't halted in a season like the NHL. If they come back to play, you're talking about sort of wrapping things up. Um, yeah, Major League Baseball, you know, like you said, 80 games or whatever, and then one of your star players tests positive. Um, now he's out two weeks or you know, a bunch of guys on a bunch of different teams get positive tests. Now you got to shut it down. That's just a bad look for everybody because you, you didn't have to start up and you did. It's not like you're coming back to wrap up a few weeks. Right. You're talking about kicking things off. So they're in a very unique spot in yeah. that regard. The thing that's, that's been bugging me the last couple of days is you look at all these states reopening and different universities are saying different things and different governors are doing different things. And some, you know, you can go to the beach in some spots, you can go to a restaurant in some spot. If the rest of the world, or let me rephrase that, if a chunk of the United States is starting to operate in a form of normalcy, right? Not mm-hmm. like we always knew, but getting close yeah. to back to that. Why are sports so paranoid about highly skilled and highly trained and elite athletes getting a virus? That's what I don't mm-hmm. really get. Like, you're telling me yeah. I can go to the beach in Wildwood? And literally yeah. do whatever I want with little repercussions, other than a, a you know a, a wonky eye or a crazy eye from the guy next to me. But where where's the law? Like yeah. I can go do that, but yet you're telling me that Bryce Harper has to sit six feet on the bench from Reese Hoskins. Right. That just I makes know. no sense to me. They're the least I, likely demographic yeah. to contract it, and if they do, to have any real setback from it, they might have yeah. a positive test and feel fine and want to play the next day. Yeah. None of these guys are going to die from the virus, knock on wood. So why yeah. why are sports like keep the fans out, broadcast the games, and get everybody on the field or on the ice or on the court? At this point, yeah. get them back in, get them in the shape, test them every day, and move on. I don't like I can go to the yeah. restaurant and sit on a patio and get served food and eat with whoever I want. But guys that are making millions of dollars are in the best shape of anybody on the planet can't play a sport. I, it, I just don't – there's a disconnect there for me. Like, we're going to reopen X, Y, and Z, but yet Major League Baseball needs to put out 400 pages on, you know, sanitizing the baseballs and where's the umpire going to stand and blah, blah. Who cares? Like, those guys aren't getting sick, and if they are, they're not going to die. Safety for them health-wise, I, I just – I think that's just like the easy thing to say. want everybody to be safe. The person you have to worry about – is the clubhouse manager and the traveling secretary and the PR guy, the TV crew, the janitors. Like, that's who you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about the 30 guys on the team. You might have to worry about Charlie Manuel if he's your manager because he's 100 years old. But you don't have to worry about Aaron Nola. And so to me, it's like, get these guys back out there. Figure out the money issue. Get them into shape. Have your testing ready. Play a season. And that's what you want to do. If you want to play a season, then let's just balls to the wall, play the season. Because in some areas of the country, they're going balls to the wall at the beaches and the bars and the clubs. And these people are fat and out of shape. 
You know, like I just there's a disconnect there that's not I, I'm just not understanding. Well, there's a complete disconnect. You just not even look at sports. Just look at across the country. Like you hinted, like you touched on before. Like some of these places are refusing to open yeah. up, and then some places are like, you know what? I know. I mean, the it's other been bugging me. Baseball's dealing with is the fact that you know, um, is the fact that um, um, what was I trying to say? Basically, that some people open up, some are shut down. It's like I. I there's science behind it. You know, Major League Baseball is also worried, like, oh, my God, can we get a season before the second wave of the flu virus goes on? So there's all these factors. But I think you got to give it a try, right? You, you, first of all, you got to give these guys enough time to try to get their bodies back in condition. You've heard so many stories of people not having equipment, not having access to a gym. You know, all these things like, you know, if you're some of the more high profile players, maybe you have this badass gym, you know, in your house and you can keep yourself trained. But the other thing I saw, like with the German soccer league, it looks like some guys were just not ready to, to com- compete on a game level. So you got to make sure that, you know, and take your time and, and, and see what happens. And, you know, and then it's like three states open up. They're like, well, listen, if your team won't have you, we will. Come on down. Yeah. Some of that money down here. You know, I just read something on the bottom line. It was so crazy. The Oakland Athletics missed their annual 1.2 million rent payment. Team informed stadium. It cannot pay due to the pandemic. Like, this is a major league baseball team. They don't have 1.2 million in the bag to pay the rent. Like, come on, man. This is crazy. The place, the world is going crazy. It's unbelievable. Well, you mentioned the word compete a minute ago. Let's take a quick break. When we return here on the Brotherly Love podcast, we'll talk about maybe the best competitor of all time. And Michael Jordan, want to get your thoughts on the last dance. Plus three Eagles offensive linemen, part of a very prestigious honor from Pro Football Focus. We'll get to that in a minute as well. It's the Brotherly Love podcast. Quick uh, message, though, from Anchor.fm. All right, back here on the Brotherly Love Podcast, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. A couple minutes left and a few things to get to. Uh, Johnny Mita, the last dance, episodes 9 and 10 aired over the weekend. I, I'm i still a couple episodes behind. I got them taped. Don't worry, I'm getting there. So I want to get your thoughts on the last dance and what you thought of it. And then I just have one quick thought on Michael Jordan but uh, from what I've seen. But uh, your thoughts on the last dance. Did it live up to all the hype? Uh I think not only did it live up to all the hype, it, it exceeded um, expectations. It was one of the most well-done sports documentaries that I remember ever watching. Another good one's Icarus, which one would be interesting to see if they have these award shows. But I, I could see this this documentary series winning a ton of awards. The soundtrack was amazing. Brought yep. me back years. I mean, just... You haven't seen how they end it yet, but they they ended with a beautiful song from one of our my favorite bands of all time, and um, it, it's just everything, just the storylines, the background stories, just for all the people that never got to see Michael Jordan play. This was a great depiction of who the guy was, how he played, how he kind of interacted with his teammates. You know, like him, hate him. That's just the way he was. But the guy was just a complete animal sociopath. Like, I've never seen a guy that was so driven to just win at all costs and always delivered. And that's one thing that many people, 
you can get the comparisons of LeBron James, Jordan, Kobe, Jordan. But this guy went to the NBA Finals and was perfect. Never lost in the NBA Finals. Played against great competition. We kind of talked about it all fair. You know, he beat 360 game, you know, 360 team winners in the NBA Finals. To win 60 games in the NBA, that is quite a feat. You know, the record's like 73 games at the Golden State Warriors, 73. To be able to focus and get that and get your team on a professional level up to win that many games, people don't realize how hard that was. It also kind of it talked about and touched on how good his supporting cast was. It wasn't just Michael Jordan. You got to give a lot of credit to Scottie Pippen and 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 crazy as he is, the worm Dennis Rodman. And you got to give credit to Phil Jackson how he he molded all these weird different types of personalities together to just put one of the most dominant teams of the decade. And if Jordan doesn't take a couple of year or year and a half hiatus. How many championships could the guy have ended up with? Eight championships? Ten championships? But for me, and, and, and the tip of the iceberg, and you'll get to this, Joe, when you watch, you know, when you complete the series, but it was game six against the Utah Jazz, the final season of his career. Literally, Utah's up three points. There's 41 seconds to go in the game, and, they're, and the Bulls are down three. Michael Jordan has the ball. Gets to the basket, tough layup, gets hammered, should have been man one, lays the ball up. Then they come down. He realizes that they're running the same play for Carl Malone. He strips Carl Malone of the basketball. They're still down a point, takes the ball in his hands, and then hits one of the most iconic moves. Everyone says he pushed off, he didn't push off, and, and just ends it to, to win his sixth ring. And it was just just amazing i mean i was i was just so just great and and to relive and i totally forgot that in game six of that series scotty pippen literally wrenches his back in the first quarter within the first two minutes on a dunk and essentially he's playing at i don't know maybe 50 percent, and he guts it out and makes some plays and just you know the heart of the champion it, it reggie miller said listen when you have that championship DNA, it, it's you have to bring everything on the table to beat a caliber of a team like that. And for me, man, he will always, Jordan, I've had this argument with many people, but at least hopefully the young people and the millennials out there have a realization of how damn good this guy was because he was unreal. And the one thing that you weren't, you never wanted to get on his bad side because this, this man holds grudges. Yeah, you talk, you talk trash. You might not like it. You talk trash in him and come at him. It is the worst. You want to talk about? Don't poke the bear. Do mm-hmm. not poke. Do not poke him because he he'll come at you like a honey badger. He don't care. Yeah, great point, especially on the younger generation getting to see some of him firsthand and just how competitive and how great he was. Um, you know, look, there's. There's a lot to be said about how it was filmed and edited down. And I know Horace Grant's already come out and said he thinks it's not a bunch of garbage, but he's a little upset at some of the things they left out or some of the things they depicted a certain way. And that that's the beauty of Hollywood is you can film something or uh, script something any way you want it really with, with today's technology and storytelling. Um, I'm, I'm a little shocked at what a complete, jerky was to so many people like even if you know when they're flipping 
like changing quarters with those locker room attendants. Like he would lose one of those and just be like, beat it, get out of here then. Like it didn't seem to be, he would laugh afterwards with some of his chirps. Yeah. But some of those daggers he threw were, they were volatile. There, there wasn't a lot of love to go around from Michael Jordan. Yeah. As you said. Yeah, he wasn't it was either be, be the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and that that rubbed me the wrong way through the parts I've seen. I mean, sure. Again, you you know, I knew that about him a little bit, but you know, I, I guess you could chalk it up to being the best. And if you and if you're going to be the greatest, if you're going to be undefeated in the finals, then maybe you have to have a little sandpaper. Maybe you can't be all lovey dovey with your teammates. Maybe you got to hold guys accountable a certain way. That wouldn't fly with today's player, with today's athlete. Let's let's make that very clear. Today's athlete does not respond to that from a coaching standpoint or otherwise. Um, Good point. From a leadership standpoint, so I think it'd be different, be harder for Jordan to win in today's environment when so many guys would just be turned off by that type of alpha male personality. But uh, certainly, the the proofs in the pudding with his numbers, et cetera, the titles. It's crazy to think that he basically was gonna, you know, he walked away twice, really. Yeah. Uh, on sort of his own terms. You know, he was just burnt out. He was just tired of it. He hated being the guy. He hated what Jerry Krause was doing with the organization. And he walked away twice, essentially, uh, from the Bulls. So, uh, pretty crazy there. Jefferson, hello. How are you? Good to, yeah. good to hear from you. <laughs> he had to chime in at some point, Joe. Sorry <laughs> about that. Jeff, thanks for joining the show, but you're done. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with you. Like, he's kind of a jerk. A jerk, and that was his fear that he would be perceived that way. And at the one, the end of seven, I don't know if you got to that, he got so emotional of kind of the attitude and the way he was. And you kind of hear stories of like Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, like from everything that I've read and heard about, like he kind of had the same type of mentality. Yeah. Like that might be a good point, you know, to go after his teammates and hold people accountable and listen. If you're not going to practice as hard as I am, then get the hell out of here. And that's, yeah. And and like you said, today's athlete, that that you're right. He might not have been able to. Ben Simmons him. would fold up like a tent. Absolutely. One half with Michael Jordan either guarding him or as <laughs> as his know. teammate. I know people uh, say like, oh, I don't think that you know he'd be able to score. Like let let's get some straight for for all the people. Honest to God, he averaged. You know, the rules were different, and I get it. Now, today is the athlete between training and sports medicine and everything that now goes into it. I know that's a big leap, but let's not get this twisted. Like, the guy would still average, in my opinion, I think would average 40 points a game. In I was going to say 35. I was yeah, going to say 35. Yeah, 35 so, I don't know, 40s, them. 40s with it. Because he'd spend the whole line at the free, uh, the whole game at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, look at James Horn. The guy yes. goes to the free throw line like yes. 22 times a game. Jordan yes, the athlete, yes yeah. the athletes are better. Um, yeah. You know, the sports science is better. The knowledge of the game, the film breakdown, all that stuff are better for the players now. The resources yeah. are through the roof. But Jordan would have thrived in that. Yeah. Well, look, you at, know? look at another aspect, three-point shooting. I was like, well, uh, Jordan wasn't really a good three-point shot. Listen, the three-point shot didn't really become a really huge aspect of the game until the last, I don't know, eight years when – you know, people are throwing up threes from half court. Do you know what yep. I'm saying? Yep. And that would be that would be a thing where he would literally go home in the offseason and be like, listen, man, everyone's shooting threes. It, yep. it changes the whole complexion of the game. Yep. I'm going to go out. I'm going to practice my ass off. And, and I'm think about one of the best three-point shooters yes. in the league. Period. And think about how, because if, if he saw other guys better at him than it, you know, better huh. than him at that, he would have lost his exactly. mind. Yes. Period. And, 
and his career would have been so much longer in today's era because yeah. he'd be protected by the referees and because the, yeah. he could recover better with all the treatment, yeah. you know, and, and the game wasn't, the game's not as violent now as it was then not, when he was literally getting mugged. Pumbled. And the other thing is too, it's like, not only that, it's just, it's just the other thing I look at, like you look at today's NBA, they don't really play defense. <laughs> like they do like in the no, 90s. It's like an all-star game. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like in the 90s, man, you know what a pain in the ass it is to have somebody pick you up full court yep. and that's their mentality? I mean, that's the type of defense Scottie Pippen was playing. He's yep. going to pick you up full court. That's what he did to Magic Johnson. And you have that agitator. It's like the T.J. McConnell. Like T.J. McConnell, say what you want about him, but he's a guy that's picking he's you up throwback. full court. He's throwback, yeah. Yeah, he's throwback. He's picking you up full court, and Jimmy Butler mentioned that's what he loved about TJ because that's the type of guy that'll pick you up full court, and not many people do that. And that's, but so it, it's changed. But it's just, it was just remarkable, man. It was just ten hours. It just you wanted to see more. It was just, and just his clutchness, and just knowing that he would just never let his team fail was like something I've never seen. He was in so many hard situations, and yep. he always delivered, always. And people want to say, oh, LeBron, like, listen, the guy's been to the finals so many times. I get it, but he only has three rings. You know, that's it. That's yep. it. Like, And think about all the pressure on Michael Jordan, too. You know, we think about today's social media era yeah. and the pressure on players because they're completely scrutinized 24-7. Yeah, But Jordan was like that without social media. I mean, the throngs of fans and media members and all that after yeah. every game and practice and every day of his life and the endorsements, like he was in, in a lot of ways very much under that microscope that many athletes are today. And that's without Twitter and Facebook and all those things. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Crazy. And it's just, you know, the crazy thing is you look at it, it's like three people. I didn't realize the one thing with the doc is like his baseball career. Like if he really had the opportunity at bats, maybe he could have made it in baseball. Yeah. I crazy. Didn't, I didn't think he was that close, not right. that close, but listen, he went right to double a, which, you know, Reinsdorf said, listen, we couldn't send him to single a cause he was just too big of a figure. So we had to send him to double a, which that takes some people to, to, you know, like a year or two just to crack each level. So yeah, it was just – it's just amazing. And just to come back, it's just – it was incredible. All right, last topic here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Again, don't forget to support us, subscribe, etc. on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're doing it. Pro Football Focus put out their uh, run-blocking O-line all-decade team. All right, and that's a very specific niche, right? But we're talking yeah. 2010 to 2020 – Pro football focus, it's not an opinion thing. It's numbers. It's it's stats on blocks. It's stats on uh, missed block. You know, you name it. So the run blocking all-decade team for offensive line from 2010 to 2020 for pro football focus. And there are three Eagles on there. Evan Mathis, right guard. Jason Kelsey, center. Lane Johnson, right tackle. The other two non-Eagles that made this all-decade list, Joe Staley, the left tackle, longtime 49er, just retired. And Marshall Yanda, the big uh, hulking right guard, I believe his whole career in Baltimore, I could be wrong there. But you got Mathis, Kelsey, and Lane Johnson, three Eagles. Again, it's run blocking only. If it was more than that, maybe Jason Peters is on there for crying out loud. But 
the bottom line is, and you, you go back and look in our lifetime, John Runyon, Trey Thomas. I mean, the number of great, uh, you know, Honey Bun, Hank Fraley was a pretty good center. I mean, the number of great centers and, and offensive linemen the Eagles have had since we've been alive is insane. And, and the thing that stands out to me, while this is great for the birds to get this type of accolade, if you will, and those players individually, just one Super Bowl title. You think about how important the offensive line is to everything you do from a running game to a passing game. And this is specifically focused on the run game, of course, just the one title. And that's got to be, that's the thing to me. It's like, whoa, they've had three guys that pro football focus thinks are maybe the best, at least over the last 10 years at their various positions. And yeah, the Eagles went to the playoffs a bunch with, with all these guys, you know, but, but at the end of the day, we got just the one ring. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, just great players. I mean, Jason, Jason Kelsey, very underrated. Uh, I mean, some of the things that that guy can do, just being able to pull and get out in front and be 30 yards downfield and still making blocks for either his running back, his receivers, quarterback, anybody. And, you know, Mathis was kind of short-lived, but another very underrated player here. And Lane Johnson's been such a great fixture, except for – you know, going down last year with that injury, he's been relatively healthy, but you're right. I yeah, mean, minus the suspensions, he's been a horse. Well, that's exactly. You know? Forgot about that one. Yeah, but, um, yeah, great lineman, and, and it's he gets it done in the trenches, man. That is a big thing if you can get it done in the trenches. But, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have some more rings in the fold. But Amen to that. Brandon Brooks, another guy, perennial pro bowler, that's been sure. part of the Eagles' line now for – a handful of years. I mean, you want to, you know, the Eagles had that dumb line during the draft about being a quarterback factory. They should be an offensive line factory for crying out loud. And the first comment I saw when Pro Football Focus tweeted that out was yeah. about Jeff Stout, uh, Jeff Stoutland, okay. their offensive line coach. That was like some fan is for the first thing was like Jeff Stoutland is the goat, and really as far as run blocking or you know from offensive line coaching perspective, you got to. He's done a hell of a job, and considering I think it was Chip Kelly plucked him from Alabama, didn't he? Correct. Um, yeah. I mean, one, so you know, you look at the one positive impact Chip Kelly's had after his tenure. Yes, it's yes. the fact that we got Stoutland, and he hasn't left. Well, and also Lane Johnson and Ertz, right? Were part of his draft. I mean, or was that Howie's draft? I don't know. We don't know. You know? Yeah, exactly. That was the so. that was the ambiguous year. Who was actually running it? Exactly. Um, all right, Johnny made it in November. There is the yes. possibility for a Sunday, which would have NFL football and the masters. Will you be able to uh, keep it in your pants that day? It's masters in November is going to be thrilling. I, I <laughs> love that. Um, you know, where are you going to be able to watch it? I don't know if you'll be able to go in the sports bar as we know it. Yeah. They might not. So will you be in the courtesy of your living? Are you going to be streaming one thing on one end? Are you going to have two TVs? I don't know. But I guess I have a couple months to uh, get my act together. <laughs> Start if buying I, up TVs? Yeah, if I got to come up with a new setup to make sure that we can watch both at the same time. Because, uh, you know, what do you think, Joe, in all likelihood of fans being in NFL stadiums this year, if you were to put a percentage on it? Well, I saw today the Vikings got approval to sell beer at the park across the street yeah, from what? their facility. And I first thing I thought was, here we go, beer gardens at FDR. You know, um, but, I, you know, I, look, I think I know organizations and even ours, you know, even the Iowa Wild are starting yeah. to come up with plans for social distancing at games. Right. Yeah. If it's 
If you can have a fan every six seats, what does that look like? Is it season ticket holders first? When do they enter? We're not that far down that rabbit hole yet as an American Hockey League team, but it's coming. And so I can only imagine that the real teams with real organizational leadership at the top and the four major sports and guys that get paid a ton of money to come up with this stuff and strategize it and use their consultants to come up with plans, they're they're working on it. And, you know – it may be just a few thousand people at every game for the first however many games or the next season or whatever, but you know, there's too much money at stake. And again, to my point, if you're going to allow people to go to the supermarket and restaurants and bars and whatever in the beach and parks and do whatever they want for the most part, I know that's not fully the case. We're not fully reopened, but it, you know, you're turning people loose and the inmates are running the asylum in a lot of these scenarios. There's not a lot of, uh, um, essentially like enforcement on, on how they're handling these situations, then why are sports going to lag behind? Um, I, I think at some point you've got to get back to what we know as normal, safe or not. There's too much money at stake for these franchises and these organizations. It is big business. And I think at some point you're going to see, yes, fans this year at NFL games. It'd be too crazy you know, it's going to be weird enough watching baseball, maybe hockey in the NBA with no fans. Like, it's going to be weird. Well, the Eagles are calling for their money, but we've refused to give it to them so far. So Yeah, well, you have no answers. You have no clarity. So from a consumer standpoint, I fully yeah. endorse, you know, that's your decision to make. And they can't, they can't take your seats away. But at some point, they're going, to want to, they're going to have to put a plan in place and tell everybody this well, yeah. is how it's going down. And then from there... You know, you can make a decision yeah. on your on I mean, your I'm own safety and your like season a, tickets, right? A twenty five percent deposit, but if we give them the whole full board, it's just like when the Eagles are not going to make the playoffs. You know, they were holding on to people's money, keeping it in the bank, and then they're like, "Well, well, we want to put that refund. We'll just put it till next towards next year." And you're like, "No, so no." Like, I want my money back yep. if I lose my job. You know, yep. circumstances have changed, so yeah, I don't know. Kind of It'll crazy. be very intriguing to see how it plays out, my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. Little spread the love real quick. I just want to yeah. quick spread the love to Chad Johnson. You know, I know it's kind of crazy, but a lot of people are doing things. But Ocho Senko. Ocho Senko, Florida restaurant opened up. He had a $37 bill and left $1,000 with a nice personal message, you know. So that was pretty cool. I mean, yeah. all the people, you look at bartenders, servers, and the whole restaurant. I know a lot of people in the industry that is one industry that may just never come back from this complete pandemic. So good, 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 no good thing that Chad Johnson did. And uh, that was pretty cool. Johnny made a great job as always. Appreciate the insight and uh, let's connect here in the next uh, few days or week or so. Crank out another brotherly love podcast for the peeps. You got it. Hang in there, everybody. Don't forget to uh, keep your eyes peeled. The big tiger and Peyton versus Brady and Mickelson should be some good live sporting event this weekend. Once again, thanks for everyone listening. Stay safe out there. Do what you can. Hey, bring a little happiness to your life. I don't know what that is for everyone out there, but do something that makes you happy, and that's important, and just to keep your mental health up and strong. And uh, thanks for all the support, and uh, keep us on the lookout because we're going to be keep bringing you the Brother Love podcast until, I don't know, until something happens to either one of us. Until a worse pandemic hits. (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff, Johnny. Mate, appreciate it. For John Mead, I am Joe O'Donnell. As always, a Brotherly Love podcast. Until next time, we'll see you.